Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. How are you all today? Good? It's great to have the Goulets in the house. Amazing. Let's welcome them. Who goes to church when they're on holidays? Four of you. Well done. You guys are straight in. The rest of you have got some work to do. You've got to go and sit on the step with Arabella. It's so important that we that we celebrate each other, isn't it? It's so important that, you know, that as we walk through life, we remember that, that there's a story bigger than our story. And, you know, I know we, we, you know, we're about to, to step into Christmas and, uh, you know, there's two stories at Christmas, isn't there? There's what am I getting? That's, there's my story. And then there's actually the story of Christmas where, where, um, God sent his son to be born, um, here on earth and, and, you know, and, and there's, 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 here's the deal, church. There's always two stories happening. There's the visible story and then there's the invisible story. There's the immediate story and then there's the eternal story. There's the story about my felt needs and then there's the story about my heavenly father's guidance of my life. So I wanted to unpack a little bit about, you know, the, the, the two stories. But see, God has invited us into a different story. He's invited us into a story that's not always visible in front of you. He's invited us into his story. And uh, he wants to invite us sometimes out of the immediate and into the eternal. He wants to invite you sometimes out of what you feel like you need and into this guidance that he has for you. You see, our story sometimes gets caught up in a little bit of anxiety because we're always trying to find volunteers or raise some money or get or get a bit more capital or you know build a little bit bigger house than we can afford or drive a better car or you know you know Riley's case afford some petrol. You know what I mean? You know, there's always you know there's always a little bit of anxiety attached to his story, and there's always peace attached to God's story. So he wants to invite us out of our story and into his story. He wants to invite us out of anxiety and into peace. And we read in, in Philippians 4, 6 to 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, my story is always about trying to control my own future or destiny. I just want to make everything work and line, get all my ducks in a row. Have you ever said that? I need to get all my ducks in a row so I can, so I can uh, make sure everything works out well. And his story is a little bit different, isn't it? His story is about relationship. He's not worried about whether the ducks are in a row. He's worried about whether the ducks are all getting along with each other. See, God is a God of relationship. We think when we just get ahead far enough, then we'll have some great relationship. God's going, how about you step out of, of, of aligning the pulpit perfectly in the middle of the stage and start thinking about whether people are embracing my truth? There's a second story. 
And God wants you to, to step into his story today. He wants you to, to, to understand that, that you know, sometimes in what you're trying to control, he's actually trying to liberate. Legend has it that uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, the, the, the French conqueror, uh, was talking to a cardinal one day. And he pointed out to the cardinal that he had the power to destroy the church. And the cardinal said this. He says, we, the clergy, have done our best to destroy the church for the last 1,800 years. We have not succeeded, and neither will you. See, when we gain a little bit of control in our life, we actually think that we can change the will of God. You don't realize that's what you're doing. But when you gain a little bit of momentum, a little bit of control, sometimes you think, oh, I can actually shift something by sheer force of my will. Guess what? God's will will be done. So the key to the message today is get into God's will. Surrender your will to him. What did Jesus do? Lord, my, Lord, take this cup from me. My will is that you get me out of this gig because uh, it looks like it's going to be painful, but nevertheless, your will be done. Get into God's will because God's will will be done. We need to get, we need to get used to that because sometimes we get so caught up in the immediate story of our will and our direction and getting our ducks in a row that we forget about the greater story that he was depositing, he was planting the seed of righteousness through his son into humanity, being born as, a, as the most vulnerable child and going to grow up and to be a saviour. And we're worried about what we're getting for Christmas. My um, and Jamie's football team won the uh, AFL Premiership this year and I've discovered that you can now get a replica of the AFL trophy. For $400, cheap, full size, this big. So I've submitted it to Kristen as my uh, Christmas wish and the rest of you as well, obviously. God's will will be done. That wasn't God's will. That wasn't God's will. Maybe. Anyway, the church will endure. Hey, Napoleon said, I, I have the power to end the church. And the cardinal, I love the cardinal statement. Wasn't it fantastic? You know, the church will endure. Do you know why I know the church will endure? Because Jesus said he's coming back for his bride, the church. When Jesus says something, when God speaks, his word will not return to him void. When he says, I'm coming back for my bride, for my spotless bride, by the way, when I come back for my bride, that means my bride will still exist when I come back. So the church is not going anywhere. So let's not get anxious about what the government's going to do to the church and that we're not allowed to, going to be able to gather. And you know what? The most, one of the most powerful churches in the world is the Chinese underground church. Sometimes a little bit of pressure makes us come alive in the true story. God's will will be done. So we need to understand the two stories so that we can make great decisions in regard to both. Because we may be in a great eternal story, but we're also present here on earth. And God wants you to understand how to make good decisions in the immediate while acknowledging the great eternal story that's also happening at the same time. 
The Bible speaks of two stories too. It speaks of, it speaks of, of the, our eternal relationship with God, salvation, eternal life, and that it also speaks of our story on how to live every day. Sometimes we get the two stories mixed up and we think it's exactly how we live every day gets us into heaven. But it's not, it's not so how it is. There's two stories. God's saying, I've given you wisdom on how to live a fruitful and fantastic life. And I've also given you my son so that if you believe in him and confess, you know, that then you will have eternal life. There's two stories, church. And as we, we embrace them, we actually get liberated from the immediate. In the Old Testament, there's the story of Israel. And we can, when we look at Israel, we can look at the nation of Israel in direct relationship to our own lives because it's a, it's a great shadow or type of our lives here. And, and, um, let me give you a quick little history lesson and just show you a little bit about the two stories. Around 900, 1920 years, nearly 2000 years before Christ was born, God calls Abram to leave his people. Abram, leave your people. Go to the land that I will give you, and out of you a great nation will be born, of which all people will be blessed. So this is the beginning of a great story, the story of, of Abraham that's going to lead to the birth of Christ, which is going to lead to the salvation of the world. That's a great story, which is going to lead to us experiencing eternal life with our heavenly Father. There's a great story happening there, you know, and, 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 and there's so, so there's this promise of a great nation and a great land. But within the big story, there's all these smaller stories, the smaller stories of Israel. You know, after, you know, after, after three generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then, and then Joseph goes to, 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 to Egypt and creates a space for Israel to go and be to go and live after this great famine and then they end up in slavery for there for hundreds of years and then around 1490 BC Moses leads Israel out of slavery leads them out of Egypt and then 39 years wandering he dies one year before they one year before they get to go into the promised land he just missed it by that much as Get Smart would say. 39 years of wandering, and then who takes over? The great Joshua, a very strong name. In 1450 BC, Joshua leads Israel into the Promised Land, one of only two Egypt originals, him and Caleb. He goes in there with, with the, and they call that the great exodus. He go, they go into to the promised land and they subdue the five kings of Canaan. And then 25 years later, Joshua dies. 25 years after they go into the promised land, Joshua dies. 17 years later, after that, all of the elders of that season die. And when Josh, after Joshua dies and the elders die, Israel walks away from God. Forty years in the wilderness trying to get into the promised land and then after 42 years in the promised land, they walk away from God. Judges 2, verse 7 says this, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. 
When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Isn't it amazing? You know, the Lord can liberate us. And then after a season, we forget. The story wears off. The legend wears off. The people who have influenced us are no longer in our lives. And we forget. And we, without even realizing it, start to do evil in the sight of the Lord. I love what, what, how the Lord responds. He says, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hand of the plunderers. You see, after, after um, the Joshua led them across the Jordan into the promised land, they defeated the five kings of Canaan. And now all these amazing stories happened. Not much happened after that. There was a great story. There was a persisting influence. There was a residual influence from the story of Joshua which caused a persisting confidence in God. Do you notice how in life something great happens and after something great happens, you tell the story for a time and there's a sort of this residual confidence that comes from that story. But then eventually the story wears off. See, for 17 years there were, after Joshua died, there were no great works, just great stories. And then the storytellers died. The people had a second-hand connection to God. And when they lost the middleman, they became lost themselves. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they wouldn't even listen to the judges. The Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. Now the first judge was Othniel. We're not going to talk about him because his story is not as exciting as Ehud who came next. So I'm going to tell you this morning the story of Ehud. It's a little bit graphic, so uh, you you may need to block the ears of your children just for a moment, but I'm reading the Word of God, so it's okay. Judges chapter 3, verse 12, if you want to read along. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel. And the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer from them. Ehud, son of Gerah, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud made himself a dagger, and it was a double-edged dagger, a cubit long, from the fingertips to the elbow is a cubit. He made a cubit long dagger. He was left-handed and he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who'd carried the tribute. But he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And the king said, keep silence. And all who had attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. And now they had gone up to sitting in an upstairs, uh, in the cool of his upstairs chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. 
So he rose from his seat. Then he had reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And even the hilt went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade. For he did not draw the dagger out of his belly and his entrails came out. It's a good story, isn't it? This is in the Bible, word for word. When he had gone out, uh, then Ehud went out through the porch, shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. And when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look and to their surprise, the doors whoops, the doors to the upper room were locked. So they said, he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. So they waited until they were embarrassed and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key, opened them and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud, Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images, and escaped to Sirah. What a story. What a detail the Bible gives us. Why did they tell us he was left-handed and he put the cubit-long dagger on his right thigh? And why did they tell us that, that, the king, that King Ehud was overweight and that all those bits about the, the, um, the, other, the other things as well that I won't say again? Just the kind of story that people will want to tell for many years. Isn't it amazing the, the detail that's in that story? And we don't know why. I've listened, I've read many commentaries on this and people have got many theories why he was left-handed and why he put it on his right thigh and, and uh, you know, why they talked about the, the, um, the weight of the king and all these sorts of things, why they are important. And they're just trying to culturally uh, make up something that, that gives you a spiritual truth so I can bring a great message out of it. But here's what I think. Here's my theory. It's a great story to tell. It's engaging. It, it captures you, doesn't it? And you can picture all those things. You can picture him with his left hand and his right phone doing all these crazy things and, and, and then locking the door and escaping and all these things. It's a great story that people are going to tell for many, many years. A story that will give rise to a new confidence in God. Verse 27, it says, And it happened when he arrived back that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains and he led them. Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab and did not allow anyone to cross over. And so that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. One great story provided 80 years of rest. One great story provided confidence for 80 years. 80 years of residual, persisting, enduring influence and confidence in God. Then he had died. Guess what? Once more, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. I love this statement. I love, it. I love the statement that says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. It gives us a great uh, reminder of whose opinion is important here. 
We live in a world that loves to justify what's right and wrong. And right and wrong, depending on 51% of the vote, you know, tends to, tends to change sporadically over time, doesn't it? And, and, I, and I love this statement. It says, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. To me, that causes me to step into humility because I've justified many of my actions over the years because of this and because of that and because of my history and because of my situation and the circumstance and all those things. I got, you know, it's just, it's just the nature of where I am right now. But does it really matter when it comes to those things? When it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord, my thought is I desperately want to know what God's opinion is because what God's opinion of of my life is is way more important than my opinion of my own life. I'm blinded by my own opinion the majority of the time. And my guess is that the Israelites who did evil in the sight of the Lord didn't even realize that they were doing evil and didn't think what they were doing was evil in the sight of the Lord. When we think of evil, we think of these crazy acts. And, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, evil in the sight of the Lord is simply just not acknowledging him. When we stop acknowledging God, we're no longer in relationship with God. And when we're not in relationship with God, we're at the mercy of ourselves and our own opinions. And that, my friends, I suggest to you is what evil in the sight of the Lord is, a self-centered life. I don't think Israel just woke up and decided to do evil. I doubt they were even thought what they were doing was evil. They were just getting on with life with no more great stories to keep them confident in the living God. And I think each of us doesn't don't realize, you know, that there's a residual influence of those around us. When Andy Goulet, the great King Frog, gets up here and just tells us the stories of, of grandeur that happened down in, in, in his life, you know, and the million people he just met with that year and all these crazy things that happened, we go, wow, God is great. I can now have another year off until Andy tells us a story again. We can live off the residual influence of someone else's faith. But next year, Andy says, ah, sorry, I'm not coming to preach at your church next year going to go and bless another family. Don't even think about it. We get caught up in the residual influence of someone else's world. And guess what? Someone else's faith cannot sustain your relationship with God. Someone else's faith, someone else's story, someone else's adventure cannot sustain your faith. It can give you the appearance of confidence that we're all on track, but it cannot sustain your relationship with God. We can get caught up having a relationship with the church, not with God. We can get caught listening to other people talk about the Bible and never reading the Bible ourselves. We can have a faith based on someone else's story and not our own. And we find that all of a sudden we're miles away from God and we don't know how we got there. In Revelation, it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The key line is not the blood of the Lamb and the testimony, I believe. The key line is that they overcame. 
someone else's story and the cross gives you permission, gives you energy to overcome yourself. And then once you've overcome, guess what? You are now the story. The story is now your story. You're part of a greater story. I love celebrating the great stories of those other people around, but I want to be in a story as well. Why? Because when I'm in his story, I know I'm in relationship with him. It's not secondhand. I'm drawing on the leading of his spirit myself. I'm not excited by someone else's, um, someone else's being led by the spirit of God. I'm firsthand in connection to the living God, living my story. And I know that if anyone steps out of my life, my, my connection is complete between the two of us. God is calling you into relationship with him. He's saying, be inspired by the stories around you so that between their story and the cross of Christ, the blood of the lamb, that you too can overcome what's in front of you and now your story will inspire another to do the same. Israel had peace for 80 years, but they overcame nothing in that time. 80 years of telling stories and doing nothing. And I have a lot of conversations with people that want me to explain why the Bible says what it says about certain things. One of the most fearful things I've done recently was uh, do a Q&A with the KYB ladies. And uh, I warn you men, stay out of that building as long as possible because it's a fearful place to be at their mercy. No, they're amazing ladies. We had a great time. Yeah, most times I, I give it a good go at explaining what I believe God's saying. And I pretty well have an opinion about everything. And uh, some of them uh, are true. Most of them are um, sound true. And here's the thing. Our greatest move is less about explaining the intricacies of God's word and more about allowing his word to shape us as we go. You see, a lot of the times it's not about unpacking, you know, why why Ehud was left-handed and why he put his, his his dagger on his right thigh. That's way less important than the than the fact that we are now understanding that there are two stories, that there's a great story of God, which is which is him. Here's the great story. You may have forgotten it. He gave a promise to Abraham that a great nation was going to come out of him and out of that great nation a seed was going to come in the form of Christ who was going to bless all of humanity with the ability to have eternal life and restore relationship with him. That's a great story. But meanwhile, along the way, you know, they're in and out. There's some peace. There's a great story and then there's some peace for a time, but they don't overcome everything. So then they fall again and then God raises up another judge, another hero, and then we celebrate that hero's story. God wants you to be directly related to him so that no one else's story defines your relationship with your heavenly father. Be inspired, be blessed, be encouraged, gain some confidence by their story and then overcome the hurdle that's in front of you and then tell your story. Joshua in his final speech said this. You can read it in, in uh, Judges chapter 1. He says, this one, he says many things, but he says this one line. Hold fast to the Lord your God. Hold fast to the Lord your God. Don't hold fast to the champion. Don't hold fast to Ehud. Don't hold fast to the stories of yesteryear. Don't hold fast to that healing you got 25 years ago. Hold fast to the Lord your God. Why? 
because there's always two stories. The visible and the invisible. The immediate and the eternal. The felt need and the Father's guidance. Right now, the visible seems like everything. The immediate seems like everything. But there's another story happening in the background. There's a great story. There's a heavenly Father who is guiding you. His Holy Spirit is leading you into truth. He is preparing a pathway of righteousness. He is, he is giving you, he's giving you opportunities to grow and to stretch and to embrace and to worship and to read his word and be transformed and to overcome things that you wouldn't have dreamed that you could overcome. Don't glorify the event. Glorify the author of life. Why doesn't the band jump up? Don't glorify the event. Glorify the author of life. Hold fast to the Lord your God. Where do we start? God has invited us into a different storyline. One not visible without faith. One that contradicts the immediate. And one that has had the Father, the hand of the Father all through it, all the way along. See, a lot of times it's not until we, get, we look back that we see the hand of the Father. So having an understanding that there is a greater story happening gives you the faith and the confidence to keep going and to overcome in the midst of great challenge. And then when you look back, what do you get to do? You get to glorify the author of life. You get to glorify the hand of God. You get to tell a story of of your faith and of his generosity. Church, we've got to get good at knowing the two stories. God has called us to be present today in this story, but be driven by his greater story. Then, in the middle of today's story, we find ourselves shouting the praises of God to those around us instead of the complaints of the soul to those around us. Isn't it interesting when you know there's two stories and everyone else just thinks there's one? Already, you're above the game. You're above what everyone else is looking at. You're going, well, everything's falling apart around us. But don't worry, the will of God will be done. Christ is returning for a spotless bride. Guess what? That's us. Will you allow God to stir your heart this morning? How are we going to do this? We're going to take our bearings from the living God And in our closeness to him, we're going to experience the fullness of life. And we're going to have great stories to tell every step of the way. Why don't you stand with me this morning, church? Church, God has invited us out of our story, out of the story of anxiety and getting our ducks in a row, and into his story, where peace reigns eternal where your understanding, which is still all over the shop, gains peace because there is a peace that goes beyond your understanding. 
Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your great story. I thank you, Father, that your will will be done. So this morning, Lord, as we gather, as we've come to a place of worship and acknowledging you, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would help us get centered on the great story of eternal life so that as we walk out that door, as we step into the immediate, as we step into the visible, Father, that you would reveal to us something greater. Lord, in our lack, in our visible lack, Lord, we ask that you would you open our eyes to your great capacity, to your great extravagance. Lord, in our hurt, we ask that you would open our eyes to your great peace. In our anxiety, Lord, we ask that you would give us a revelation of your great hope. Lord, we thank you that you have positioned us for this time to overcome for your glory. And we give you honour, we give you praise, and we give you our worship in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching, that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.